This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Dispatch Podcast. This is Adam O'Neill, Executive Editor of The Dispatch. Today we have on the show Pascal Emmanuel Gobry to discuss the recent rioting and unrest in France. Pascal is a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, but he's also lived in France his entire life. We hope you'll enjoy this one. Pascal, thanks for coming on. Uh, you're in Paris right now, correct? Yes, that's correct. As you can see behind me. Yeah, the beautiful view of the Eiffel Tower. Beautiful closet. Yeah, and it's f- probably filled with baguettes and cigarettes or something like that, right? Yes, that is exactly what is inside there. But but really, what, what we want to do is talk to you about what you've seen, how everything looks on the ground, and also get some context uh, for our uh, our listeners or viewers now, when we were talking before about originally recording this, you know, you said you'd been doing quite a bit of rioting. So how many cars have you been able to light on fire in the past week? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm trying to beat my personal best. Uh, so, you know, my personal best is 12, which I achieved in 2005. Um, and so I'm trying to, uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying to get there, you know, um, but it, I, I have to take it one at a time. So, you know, when this ends, I'll let you know what the final score is. Okay, very good. Very good. No, but uh, but really, uh, just to prevent you from being arrested or something, you are not partaking in the rioting. And I, I suspect you, you disapprove of a lot of the uh, property damage and that sort of thing. I, in fact, disapprove of all of it. <laughs> well, a, a lot of our... Uh, a lot of folks here in America will like walk past the TV and be like, oh, some cars are on fire in Paris. Or, oh, looks like a angry group of young men destroying a bank or something or a, a, a supermarket. What started all of this? Because at this point, it's been going on for about a week. Uh, what started it? What was the actual issue? And what was sort of the underlying, underlying issue that made it blow up like this? The trigger was the killing by police of a young man, a 17-year-old man named Nael, uh, a young man of Algerian origin, and the, as so often in those cases, the, the video clip that first emerged looked extremely damning to the cops. It looked like a traffic stop and the cop shouting, I'm going to kill you. And then shooting him in the, in the head, apparently for no reason. Uh, what later emerged was that there had been a chase and this was the second time he had been stopped. Um, and the the audio was sort of unclear and there's today 
the France 2, which is the public news channel, reported that if you clean up the audio, it actually sounds what the cops are saying are saying, you know, turn off the engine, put your hands on your head, uh, comply, um, and not, you know, I'm going to shoot you. But this set off, this killing, it's been compared to George Floyd, it set off, uh, let's just look at some numbers here about to give people a sense of the scale of what's happening, and then we can talk about sort of the underlying issue that drove this. You have, in a country somewhere between the size of California and Texas, 70 million people, 45,000 police and other security forces being mobilized across the country, thousands of cars burned, perhaps a thousand buildings burned or damaged, uh, and these numbers are going down, but it's still not exactly progress when I think Sunday night it was 259 cars were burned instead of a thousand a couple of days before. And you have 157 arrests, I think a total uh, last night, more than 3000 total. And I think the interior minister said the average age of the person being arrested is 17. And you're even having some incidents where a 12 year old is setting a fire out there. Yeah, most of them are between 14 and 18. Right. And a mayor's home is attacked. His family is fleeing in fear. This is some pretty serious chaos. What's what's driving this? Uh, even if people had disinformation about the video or didn't understand the full story, why are these people so angry? Why why are they taking to the streets like this? Right. I mean, there's there's a sort of American thing and I don't I don't blame you guys. Uh, oh, you know, the French are writing. It must be Tuesday. Again, I don't I don't blame you. It, it's very embarrassing. But Protest culture is part of is part of the culture in France for a bunch of historical reasons we can go into. This is very different. It's a different demographic, and it's basically the you know uh, Arab and African immigrant demographic in the well. It used to be the so called banlieue, but really now it's everywhere. Uh, in part because of a, of a law that was passed after the previous riots in the banlieues. The banlieues, for the people who don't speak uh, French, that's sort of like a, a suburb, historically kind of marginalized groups or people separated from society were in the banlieues. But now you're saying it's not just in these like little segments, geographic segments, but throughout the country. Yes. So small towns, peaceful small towns were attacked. Uh, this is one of the things that were ne- that that's new. So the last big riots were in 2005, but they were they were big, but they they were localized. Here you had people burn things down in the center of Paris, in the center of Brest, in the center of everywhere. Uh, and all, well, not everywhere, but like major cities, anyhow. Um, and you had, you know, small towns and places like that also getting attacked. So this is also another way in which this is much bigger. And it's not a protest. There's no demand. It's not being organized by, or if it is, you know, uh, not officially, and it is much more violent. Like French protests can sometimes turn violent, but it's a sort of controlled violence. And historically, they're sort of, you know, they're they're peaceful protests. Like my, you know, my parents, they didn't go to protests because they were, you know, conservative. <laughs> but like they knew people who did, and you know, you it, it was like a, a festive event you went to with your friends, and, and like you. You had a barbecue afterwards. Uh, this is not that. Yeah, I remember when I was living in Paris, I, uh, it was during the first Macron pension reform push, and they had shut down all of the trains, and there were regular protests. And I remember walking near Republique, you know, where there are so many protests historically in France. There was a line of about 12 
police vans and there were riot police inside of them eating their dinner before the protesting began. And I remember there was one cop uh, walking down to each van and giving them a bunch of baguettes to go with their with their uh, dinner. And I, it all just seemed very normal and planned. And like you said, and uh, maybe a car would get lit on fire. Maybe there'd be some, you know, some clashes between the protesters. But it, like you said, it didn't typically in pension reform. We know the French feel very strongly about that, but it didn't really spiral into violence. Yes, that's a good, that's a good example because there were the protests themselves were very big and very recent, but the the violence was very limited. And one one sort of difficulty with this and it's something I learned while I was living there and I've spoken to lots of French about and there's sort of a debate with, within France about this is colorblindness is sort of enshrined in the, in French political life and social cultural life where there are no hyphenated Frenchmen. You're not in the same way that we have African-Americans or Mexican-Americans or Asian-Americans. That's not something that's really, really kosher in France. How does that affect this debate and these groups, even if they're, even if these young people out there on the street aren't making any demands, clearly there is a, a racial or ethnic element to what's happening here. How, how do Explain explain that concept and that debate and how how people think about that in in France. The, the this issue of color of color blindness is that has been historically the the French position um, and and a sort of consensus across the political spectrum, uh, but less and less so. And there is a sort of neo colonial. Um, there's a sort of colonial resentment element. So you know. The people who came here are people from former French colonies, and they consider themselves, they don't consider themselves French. Like um, Le Monde did an article, you know, once, it was very controversial, but they did an article about anti-white racism in the banlieue. And in, in that world, the term Francais, so French, is a racial slur. So, and the, the article had a very touching, very sad story about the well-meaning teacher, like explaining to uh, Ibrahim or whatever, uh, no, no, you're French too. You're, you're a citizen of France, this country of human rights. And he was saying, stop insulting me, like stop calling me white. Because to them, the word Francais is a slur for a white person. That's the meaning of the word. And so they, they, do not recognize themselves as belonging to the French community, uh, and and they're hostile to it. There, there's a, uh, a a sort of noxious mixture of Islamism and number one, this sort of like over the top masculinity, uh, comfort with violence, and three, just sort of opposition to everything you would regard as French. We could. T- I want to talk about the political angle, but there's also a tremendous hostility on behalf of the police toward the people that they say that they're at war with. You have police unions putting out statements saying we're dealing with savage hordes. Some of them are using the word vor- vermin. Right. This is. They're not holding back. Uh, they're not too worried about political correctness. The police. The French police unions. Um, this kind of rhetoric suggests that they're feeling abandoned by President Macron, who, if I recall, immediately condemned or at least made comments about the video shortly after it was released, saying this was unacceptable or unjustified. Um, explain to me the the French political reaction, because kind of we're describing these seemingly intractable social dynamics. But across the spectrum, what are French politicians doing? How are they responding? Maybe we can start with the president himself. 
You're right. The first reaction from Macron was to blame the cop. Uh, the the French National Assembly held a minute silence for Nael. The cop was thrown in uh, preventive detention, which is not going beyond what the law would normally do for somebody who's only suspected. He hasn't been formally charged with anything, uh, and he's presumed innocent un- until a court renders a judgment that he's been thrown in jail anyway. And the minute silence was very offensive to some people because the, the, the National Assembly refused to have a minute silence for Lola, with, who was this little 12-year-old girl who was uh, sexually assaulted and butchered by a, an Algerian illegal immigrant uh, several months ago. And she was, she was a cause célèbre, and, and, and the, the National Rally tried to have the National Assembly have a minute silence for her, and they refused. So, so that's how it started for Macron. That's where his reflexes are. And then as the violence sort of, you know, got bigger and bigger, uh, he held a very bizarre, frankly, press conference where he blamed the violence on social networks and video games. Um, and, and said that the answer was to ban, uh, people who shared those violent videos on, on social networks. Seems a bit insufficient, uh, given the gravity of the, the problem. Well, I mean, the, the sad thing is that it's probably smart politics because his electoral base are well of people above, uh, who are over 60. And a lot of them probably do think that the cause of violence is social networks and video games. But I agree that given the scale of the civic violence, it's somewhat underwhelming. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. And we'll take a quick break to hear from Aura. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. And I'll tell you, not only have I given this picture frame to all the moms in my life, but I'm an only child and it's been really fun to see my friends with siblings give this frame to their moms and it turned into a passive aggressive war to see which siblings can upload more pictures of their children. The Aura app is so easy. You can sit there at the end of the day while you're watching TV and just upload a couple pictures from the day and really show your brother-in-law who's boss. From grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, and even the friends in your life, every mom loves an Aura frame. Named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code DISPATCH at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In the, you know, in the U.S., we always divide. I'm thinking about the George Floyd riots. The fault lines were drawn very the post George Floyd uh, riots uh, throughout the the summer of 2020. Very quickly, you had a dividing line in American politics. Macron is sort of a weird figure uh, in terms of confounding left and right, often sort of bouncing between the two. Uh, but in the traditional left, you're thinking I'm thinking Jean Luc Mélenchon, guys like that. Um, how are are they? How are they responding to this? And we could talk about the right in a second. But are are there any are there any significant French political figures who are, if not defending, at least excusing or saying, no, this is understandable. This is the cry of the oppressed, that sort of thing. Oh, the, so the, the, the Mélenchon and his acolytes, like the story of Mélenchon could be, you know, like a, a book or a novel because he's, he's a philosophy professor who used to be a man of the traditional enlightenment left. Uh, he, you know, he said things like, you know, race doesn't exist. Uh, it's not true to say that, you know, France was a colonial oppressor because his parents were working class whites in Algeria. And, and it's true, like the poor white people in Algeria, French colonists were very poor and like poorer than poor white people in France. And he used, and he has completely, you know, transformed into this race baiter, gone from this very secular figure to this quasi-Islamist figure because his that's that's his electoral base. That's the electoral base of the far left in France now. Uh, it's the so-called Islamo-leftism. Um, and so he has been, he, you know, he has explicitly said, I will not call for peace. Uh, he tweeted that sentence and, and several of his, you know, elected said, you know, uh, no peace but justice and like, you know, posting clips of Martin Luther King saying riots are the language of the unheard and, and, and all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's really, you know, if you want to talk about insurrections and like supporting insurrections, I mean, it's very, very frightening. And, and from my perspective, just completely unconscionable. And on the, on the right, you mentioned before national rally seeking uh, that the national rally party is led by not, not anymore, but for quite some time by the Le Pen family um, who many of our listeners are certainly familiar with, who've looked at um, the, the right, the, the far right. I don't, I'm always uncomfortable because it's such a grab bag of politics, but you know, generally considered on the right uh, in, in some fashion, despite complicated domestic politics. populist, right. Right. And they uh, clearly have taken an anti-immigrant stance in the past, you know, and with people not necessarily um, entering French society in ways. And, and like you said, remaining apart, not considering themselves French, whatever their passport says. Um, what, what's interesting to me about Le Pen is she had steadily gained more and more support over years uh, from being this rare fringe party that shocked France by making it to a runoff 20 years ago to she still lost fairly decisively to Macron last year, uh, 
But uh, yeah, she has a block that's basically forty percent of the country that will vote for her no matter what. Could you see a scenario where some of these voices who had once been considered fringe, and uh, while some people might consider her policies fringe, she politically her support is not necessarily fringe anymore. Like you said, a very large chunk of the country is willing to support her, even look past things that they may find uh, not not to their liking. Is this the kind of thing that changes French political culture and resets people's perceptions and what they might allow? I know we're still four years out from the next presidential election, but um, how, how does this affect French politics and, and the, the right in France? I'm honestly curious. Um, I, I don't really know. Um, my general sense is... Uh, and this is very cynical, is that everybody everybody has made up their mind a long time ago and they believe what they believe. And like if you want to believe that the riots are just like a under sad but understandable response to, you know, systemic racism, or if you want to believe that the riots are, you know, yet another example of the errors of mass immigration, you're gonna believe that. If you believe, you know, I just don't want to think too hard about these issues, which is probably the position of many people. Uh, um, unless, you know, unless it's literally your car that's getting burned. I may be wrong about that, uh, you know, because they are an order of magnitude larger. They are more geographically spread. So my, my joke about it being literally your car that's getting burned is less of a joke. Uh, the, the short answer is that politically, of course, it's good for the national rally. Um, and, and it's bad for Macron because it happened under his watch. And for two or three days, he just sort of watched it happen. So all else equal, yes. But is it going to like completely shift French politics? Um, instead of like, you know, moving Le Pen up by two points and Macron down by two points. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on it. I mean, anything's possible, but I wouldn't bet on it. Um, the, the ones who really be clowned themselves are the, the so-called Republicans who are the moderate, uh, center right party, um, who is now around, but like ruled France for 40 years. <laughs> um, and, and they, you know, they essentially talked about how this was like the product of systemic racism and how the answer was to spend more money on the value, which is, you know, regardless of the merits, the exact opposite of what their voters or in most cases, former voters believe. So, you know, you understand why it went from, you know, the, the default party of government in France to a party that's got like 20 members of parliament. This is sort of a pretty common trend throughout Europe. You see it in Spain with people going from Partido Popular to Vox, where, they, uh, there are people who traditionally were always voting for the center right, but things get bad in one way or another, and they're starting to consider the. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, national rally, uh, kind of some anti-Semitism here and there, but uh, man, the, those riots are bad, and I guess we'll roll the dice. And honestly, the I mean, the anti-Semitism stuff was twenty years ago, right? That was more the the dad than the daughter, right? Um, uh, but I'm just saying, like that that's their thinking is like that label is attached to there, and they don't want to touch it. But suddenly, they're considering other options. I guess the the last question, um, the last question is: Is there anything else? But uh, the my last question for you is: Is there? And maybe this is just my American problem solution mentality, but legislatively 
is there anything coming? I mean, I understand now it's about restoring order and dealing with the security situation, but in the wake of this, do you see any, any legislation moving through the national assembly? I know it's tricky because Macron doesn't have a majority, uh, but what, what, what could possibly be done or is, is there any solution or is this just one of those intractable societal conflicts that we have to wait and see and we don't know? So in terms of what will happen, they've already said they're going to spend more money on the banlieue. So that's going to be coming uh, in the National Assembly. Um, in terms of what could be done, I mean, you know, burning cars is already illegal in France. So the problem is not the law. <laughs> Burning down somebody's house is already, you know, um, and in terms of immigration law, I mean, this is one of the problems with the French debate around immigration is there's nothing legislation can do because most of it is is written either by courts or by EU treaties. And so there is nothing the legislator can do. Uh, one reason why immigration has been so bad in France is that most of it is done through um what's known in the, in the U.S. as chain migration. So you bring over somebody from your, your relative and they can bring over their relative and so on and so on, which means there's no like criteria for, do you have a degree? Are you, you know, not an Islamic radical, <laughs> you know, zero, none. Most of the people coming here are coming here through, through chain migration and chain migration has been entrenched as a constitutional right by the Conseil d'État on with no textual basis, like literally none. This is this is why the the main demand of those sort of right wing parties is a referendum on immigration, because a referendum would allow to amend the constitution, which is the only way to go over uh, to overturn a, a, a Supreme Court decision. And how do you get a referendum? in France? Does it start in the legislature or how do you? So there's, there's two ways. There's article 11 of the constitution where the president does it. And then there's article 89, uh, where there has to be a vote, uh, by the parliament and then a referendum. It doesn't sound like Macron is eager to, to hold a referendum on immigration or maybe he is, I don't know. I mean, it, he definitely isn't. If he did, he would become the most popular politician in my lifetime, certainly, he would become the most popular French politician. And I mean, it's one of the mysteries of the age we live in. It's that politicians could do all these things, which whether or not they would be good or bad, they would be extremely popular. And, you know, politicians are supposed to want to be more popular and they want to do them. So it, it, if Macron changed nothing about his agenda and just became very anti-immigration or not, not even very anti-immigration, just, you know, Let's stop family migration from Africa. Just that he would he would be he would like double his approval ratings at least. Pascal, thanks for your time. Thank you.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.